you've done some incredible things in your life, but it all kind of has to start somewhere. We're thinking, why hasn't someone done this before? Are we missing something? Because this seems like an obvious solution to a big problem. We should absolutely be encouraging businesses to take on the world, but why can't they take on the world from Australia? We've essentially gone viral because of a virus. We saw daily sales double one day and then 12x the day after that. Uh, Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to People Building Businesses, the podcast where we try to uncover the secrets behind the founders, CEOs and entrepreneurs and business leaders uh, that make their company special. And, you know, today we have an amazing guest, uh, Grace Watkins, who's the founder and CEO of Click Management. Uh, Click manages some of the world's biggest online gaming personalities and collectively her team of content creators have amassed over 700 million views across the various different platforms. Incredible success story here. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to chatting with Grace. So, Grace, welcome to the podcast. It's great Thank to have you, so you here. Thank you so much. That's a really nice intro. Thank you. No, no I think I think that number is off, though, actually. Ooh. I feel as though it's probably 700 million a month at the moment. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> even more impressive. That's crazy. And, yeah. you know, I, I know that you've got some of your uh, your personalities who've got, you know, tens of millions of subscribers on yeah. YouTube alone, uh, let alone Twitch and the others. So, yeah. that's that's actually incredible. It's a crazy um, world. Yeah. So, b- before we jump into Click... I want to understand, Grace, the the human being, the person. So maybe a good place to start is, you know, could you tell us a bit about your upbringing, where you grew up and your your early days, I guess? Yeah, sure. Um, So I was born born in Sydney, but really grew up in Melbourne, actually. Um, So it's really nice to be back in Melbourne today because I I now live back in Sydney. But yeah, I grew up up in the eastern suburbs. Um, I'm the eldest of four. um, And I think, yeah, had had an amazing upbringing really it was a lot of fun I'm very close with my siblings which is um nice because we all work together now basically um but yeah I think I I went to school I was pretty ambitious at school I would say for the most part like definitely had a desire to um do well and I think even though I wasn't really sure even finishing school what exactly I wanted to do I was always trying to think about trying to keep as many doors open as possible. And that was good advice from um, my parents probably who just said, you know, don't pigeonhole yourself too much and try and do hard things and do things that will open opportunities for you and just try and learn a lot and take on different, um, you know, internships or work experience or whatever. So I feel like a lot of my like late teens and early 20s was that. And I think it was really good. And, And even though, you know, I studied, accounting and law at university which is not at all really what I'm doing now I feel like it was such a good foundation of learning and um yeah keeping in that mindset of just trying to keep as many doors open and explore different things and see if you're interested in something and meet lots of people was probably um yeah a really really good place to start did you ever envision yourself being a founder and an entrepreneur when you were growing up and studying no, not at all, actually. And and I would say until Click, I actually had very few aspirations to ever start my own business. I okay. was working at PwC and I was really happy there. I actually loved my experience at PwC and 
Um, my mum works in the corporate world and so I think I really looked to her and I, I really admire her and the career that she's had and um, so I thought that that was sort of what I wanted to follow as well and I was quite attracted actually to the idea of working in a big company where I felt as though you would have a lot of support and structure around you and the ability to you know work with people that are older yeah. and smarter than you which is true and I think they were you know climbing the corporate ladder probably was really more the aspirations that I had um, I think, you know, it's, it is funny though. I think I think back on my year 10 work experience, which <laughs> I did at, um, which I did at Just Group, which is, uh, which is the group that owned like Just Jeans and Portman's ah, and Peter Alexander and that sort of huge thing. portfolio of brands. Yes. Yeah. So I did my work experience there and I remembered, I actually don't even remember what, what day it was or what, um, area of the business that I was working in, but I remember seeing this woman who seemed much older and more mature and, you know, really seemed to have her life together and she was dressed really well. And I think I looked at her and I was just like, wow, what are you doing? She seemed to just sort of like <laughs> come and go from the office and have meetings and opened up her laptop and was on calls and sort of was really dictating her yeah. own schedule. And I actually have no idea who she was or what her role she was. She just looked important. But I was like, that looks like a really cool job. And I think having that, I was quite attracted to the idea of working on different projects and having autonomy in what you were doing and um, and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, now if I think back to that as an aspiration for some sort of what I would have wanted my work to look like, I feel like I actually have a lot of that right now. So I don't know if I don't know how it all came together, but yeah. I'm, I'm happy with where it's I mean, ended it's a up. pretty interesting transition from accounting and law, which are very traditional career paths, yeah. uh, to you know starting Click, which is completely left field, and you know yes. it's, it's such a growing industry, and not many people know what's actually involved in it. So it, it sounds like a complete. It, it's an interesting transition. Yeah, it is an interesting transition. I think. Even though I loved PwC and I loved the work, I felt as though uh, I was also a bit bound to the structure of what working in a big business felt like. And I think PwC, it's a strength that it has so much structure um, around it. But I also felt as though, you know, I was quite hungry to do a lot. Mm -hmm. And I felt as though that structure around, okay, you come in as a grad and you're a grad for two years and this is what you earn and then you're a senior for two years and this is what you earn. Right. I felt as though even if I tried really, really hard, there was no like ladders that you could take. There was no shortcuts. There was no ability to like go above and beyond and do more and accelerate faster. And I think that was probably when the um, early ideas of like, oh, what would it be like to at that point just start a side hustle and um, do something on the side that, you know, was challenging my brain in a different way. It wasn't even about, you know, trying to earn any additional money because I actually didn't even think that was realistic at the point. Right. Um, I think it was more just about like having a hobby in a way or something that I could like really go home from work and think about and feel as though I was growing it and able to feel the reward from that. So I feel like that's probably where the idea sparked. And then um, obviously when we started Click, it, you know. So Click was initially a side hustle for you. It wasn't a. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was a side hustle for me and my co-founders. So um, it really, it really 
was something that I actually thought was just going to look good on my resume when okay. I went to try and get a consulting job after PwC. <laughs> I thought, oh, that'll show some entrepreneurship and awesome. you know the ability to want to do a little bit more than just what's right in front of you. So that was actually what I thought. I was like, oh, this will look good on my resume for whatever yeah. I want to do in the corporate world next and it'll be a fun challenge and that sort of thing. And I... And I um, and and obviously that's not how it panned out, which is for the best, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it's quite funny looking back on that now. But yeah, it was it was absolutely just a side hustle, and um, and then it quickly became something I was super passionate about. So what were the early days like? Because it you know P- PwC and accounting firms in general, Big Four, are, are very known to have long demanding hours, mm-hmm. and you were still running your own company on the side. So yeah. it must have been pretty hectic for you in those early days. It was. Credit to PwC, they were wildly supportive of what Amazing. I was doing. And I started, we started Click probably um, in about April, May of 2017, I think. And so I was still working full time and I was just doing it on the weekends or at night and thinking about it and and that sort of thing. Um, and then in about October, I realized there was a program at PwC that allowed you to take three months off work and PwC would support that if you had a project that wow. was geared towards like personal development or something. And I think most people probably took it as an excuse to go on a Euro trip and like that sort of thing. <laughs> or someone off, got yeah. their plane license, which is yep, like yep. way cooler. But anyway, I was like, oh, I want to work. I want to take three months off and like work on my little business and see if I can make it happen. And so I had that opportunity and then I took that three months and that was really essential to getting, um, you know, click to a point where I felt as though, oh, maybe this could actually be a real thing. And then um, I came back and PwC actually supported me to work part-time. So obviously a lot of the work that I was doing was very client-based. I was working in audit. Um, So I was able to just take on a couple of clients that I had been working on for the last year or two and um, was able to work on Click beyond that and then did that for six months. And then it was finally at a point where I felt like I could make the leap 100%. But I think that's something something people – you know, it's interesting, like sometimes I'll speak to people and they'll be like, oh, that's so brave to like quit your job and do your own thing. And I think at the time it really didn't feel that way. And on reflection, I was probably pretty measured about it. Like I'm mm. not, I'm actually not a super like risk taking personality. Um, I think as I was very, very sure that the business would be able to sustain me leaving my full time job um, before I actually did it. Yeah. I mean, what happened when you gave your notice to PwC? Were they supportive? I was so then? nervous. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was actually on a work trip in Austin for a client that I had at the time. And my partner, who I just respected so much, was the person that I was going to tell first. And I remember like being in the hotel room, looking at myself in the mirror, being like, oh, you can do it. You can do it. You, you got to hype it. yourself like, up. Trying to rehearse like what I was going to say. Yeah. I was so nervous. Yeah. And anyway, I told him and he was incredibly supportive. And I, I think wow. even though a lot of people at PwC probably didn't understand what I was doing at the time or thought maybe it was a little bit niche or weird. I think they were so supportive and, you know, he was like the doors always open. And um, so I felt very, uh, yeah, I I still actually feel incredibly supported by the PwC network and, um, you know, they, a a few people, number of partners and that sort of thing reach out periodically and, 
um, I think I think that's a great thing actually about being at a big four is that they're so good with relationships and past employees and potential clients and that sort of thing. That's an incredible story, Grace. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I mean, where did the initial spark for the idea come from to start Click? What mm-hmm. inspired you to do that? Oh, that was 100% Elliot, my brother. Okay. So um, Elliot is my brother and co-founder and then we have Emma, our other co-founder. Um, and Elliot is a gamer himself. So he's been a gamer since he was a kid. And, you know, as children, it would cause us many, many fights when we were teenagers because I really wasn't a gamer. I'm still not a great gamer. I think I can, you know, I can, I can talk the talk a lot now. I'm still not very good at walking the walk, but, um, he was at university. He was a couple of years younger than me. He was also studying commerce law and he started to, um, upload these little tutorial videos because he was particularly good at this one game. He would upload these little tutorials. There was no speaking. It was like he, you couldn't see him. It was just literally him doing this thing in game. And he started to develop a little bit of a community and he was quite good at it and people would say, oh, can you show me how to do this thing or this thing? And so he started to make more YouTube videos and he he watched a lot of YouTube at the time. He knew it was a potential uh, job that people did. Uh, but it probably felt quite out of reach. But he started to go for it while he was at university and developed an audience quite quickly and then started to uh, not go to class as much so that he was <laughs> making videos instead. Yep. And it's funny, he was at ANU and ANU has amazing internet, unlike a lot of Australia. And um, and so he was <laughs> going to college. He was at college, but he wasn't going to any classes. He like deferred his classes, but still tried to go to college so he'd be able to access the really oh my good gosh, internet in yeah. Canberra for, to make videos. And then the college quickly caught on. They were like, dude, you can't be here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they're like, you can't just stay here and not go to university. So um, he moved up to Sydney and, and really worked on that and was able to make it a full-time job probably within about six months much to our parents' confusion and probable (laughs) disappointment at the time. And he had a manager who was Emma, our third business partner. And she'd come more from like a music management background. She was managing Troy Sivan, who's like an ARIA award-winning singer and collaborated with Ariana Grande. And, you know, so um, he was like, hey, more of my friends need management. And she didn't have the capacity to take it on in an individual sense. So we started Click and um, and that was really what it was. We were just like, let's let's represent some gamers and see if we can help them build their careers and talk with a lot of brands and that sort of thing and articulate how strong we think this this genre of entertainment is. And that was that was it. That's awesome. I actually uh, am a, a fan of your brother's uh, videos as well, music. Mm. And you know, I used to watch his Team Fortress videos. Yeah, back in the day as well. That that's TF2, what really that was what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what blew him up, right? Yeah, like totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh, like incredible yeah. story as well. Um, yeah, it sounds like a pretty uh, amazing family of overachievers <laughs> that you have over there. <laughs> I don't know. It also, I, like, I don't, in hindsight, it was just one taking one step in front of the other. Yeah. I think there was no. I think that's something that. Um, I don't know if people think that there was some grand plan that we've just been executing for the last few years, but there absolutely <laughs> wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it really wasn't. Like, so there was no family master plan where, no, you know, one no. something does this oh and the gosh. other and, you know. No, no, no. Even with the business though, you know, I think there's this whole, um, there's a lot of pressure. I think when you start a business, people say like, oh, what's the five-year plan? What's the three-year plan? Like what, what's your exit strategy? Um, what are you going to be doing? What's your revenue going to look like in two or three years? And honestly, we had no idea. We didn't have a business plan. I think we tried to make a business plan. It was like a template that we downloaded off Google because that's what we thought was the right thing to do. Right. But 
Um, if I was to look back on that now, like the business we have now is actually nothing like what we would have thought it would have been three or four years ago. And it's in many ways so much better than that. But I think um, especially when you're in a rapidly growing industry that's developing in different ways, I think if we had had a business plan that we were laser focused on from day one, we would have potentially missed some of the incredible opportunities that we've been able to jump on that were just like little shiny things in the peripheral, you know? So um, I think in some ways not having a super rigid business plan that we felt like we had to stick to meant that we were able to be quite flexible and, um, yeah, jump on different opportunities as they arose. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what actually is involved in managing these content creators and representing them? Because not a lot of people have insight into what actually goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it's very similar to traditional entertainment industries like musicians or movie stars or TV stars or whatever. But I think... um, you know, there is a lot of really talented content creators out there at the moment and they're making content on YouTube or Twitch or Instagram or wherever, but there's quite a bit of strategy that goes into actually thinking about how you can make that a long-term career and Mm. how do you, you know, deepen and diversify your revenue streams? How do you think about positioning yourself and marketing yourself how do you think about the kind of brands that you want to collaborate with and and then within that, the brokering, negotiating, sourcing of deals that is a really significant revenue stream for a lot of creators out there. Uh, there's a huge amount that goes into that and then um, a lot of the work that we do is is pitching to different brands and agencies and that sort of thing and articulating why they should be interested in gaming because I think gaming – and this is a strength that actually I feel like has been good for me not coming from a gaming background is I think um, being able to articulate why gaming is so special and valuable to a non-gaming audience because I think when we talk to a lot of brands they're like gaming oh I just don't know like I don't I've heard the word Fortnite before like Call of Duty like I know my like little teenage brother is like sitting in his room in the dark like playing a game but like what is that like what's the difference between a console and a PC and mobile gaming and you know, it can feel quite um, like there's a high barrier to entry mm. to understanding how to penetrate that market. And I think what my what, one of my goals with Click has been is to make that feel easier and make it feel approachable and allow people to understand how they can, yeah, get into the industry in a way that adds a lot of value for them but yeah. doesn't feel crazy difficult. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, Grace, can you tell me a bit more about your experience being a CEO of a company? Um what what is it like being you know the leader of the ship it's um it's been absolutely like the biggest learning experience of my life uh it's it's hard to actually even think about formulating an answer to that question because um you know in in many ways actually i was thinking the other day i was like in some ways i feel as though we've had um we've had three companies in the last 4 years mm. and It's interesting because I was saying that I think a lot of people, when you first start a business, they're like, oh, when you first start a business, that's the hardest. It's um, so tough and you're trying to make it work and you're working the longest hours and that sort of thing. And I actually disagree or it was a different experience for us. I feel like when we started Click, it was so fun and maybe because we were in a really lucky position where we were able to keep our full-time jobs so we weren't financially dependent Mm. on it or, you know, I 
don't didn't have a mortgage or kids or whatever so you know it didn't have that pressure from the get-go but I feel like when we started it was just so much fun like everything was new and such a net positive to the experience that I'd had up until that point and you know we were going to meetings and like there wasn't it it felt as though because it was so new there was nowhere to fall you know it was just like everything was a plus yeah and I remember the first trip that we did with my business partner to LA we were there and we were like (laughs) sitting by a pool like having a cocktail at like three o'clock in the afternoon we like finished our meetings for the day (laughs) and I was just like wow this is amazing this is the most fun thing I've ever done I was like click could end tomorrow and I'd be like what a fun experience this was so I feel like that was the first year and you know I was still working a full-time job and so I feel as though that period where it was just new and exciting and like there was not very far to fall and we didn't have 15 employees. So there wasn't this like huge pressure of providing like career progression and providing salaries and having a huge amount of clients that we were looking after that didn't exist. So it was just, I was so passionate and excited about everything. Yeah. Then, you know, as the business starts to grow and we had a few more employees and we had a few more clients and you have to deal with implementing like systems and structure and that sort of thing. That's when it got tough. Like that's when it really got tough. And I think, um, you know, for the first year and a half of our business, we were working above Elliot's garage and there was like five or six of us in a room. And and it was it was just a different business because it was so small. We all knew exactly what was going on. Everyone knew what everyone was doing. Communication was really easy. Everyone mm. was in the same room. The processes were super basic because they didn't need to be complicated. Um, and then we moved and we moved to a much bigger office and we scaled up in terms of staff quite quickly, which meant we had to, you know, really scale up other areas of the business quite quickly as well. And that period was actually quite challenging it felt like a real teething period of the business and it suddenly went from like four or five people to like 10 to 12 people and there was a huge difference in that and uh and it was complicated like that was a different business for me to run I'd never had that experience I'd never managed that many people before you know if you have four direct reports that's really different to 12 direct reports Mm. um and for a lot of the staff as well like they'd thought they were working in a business with four or five people that felt really small. And some of them, I think, actually struggled with the change of going to 10 to 12. And, you know, we had quite a bit of turnover that year and and that was extremely stressful. And, um, you know, you just, you're still at a point with the business where it's quite young. When it's yours, you take everything so personally. Like I remember when our first employee quit and it kept me up at night for weeks. I just took it so, you know, um, I really, you know, took it hard and, um, it was just trying to figure this thing out and feeling as though I was trying to juggle a million things at once and wasn't doing any of them particularly well. And it was, it was tough. Uh, and it took a while to like get over that period of the business. And I think, um, you know, I think that's something that like, I try to talk about a lot quite publicly is that it's not, it's not easy, like starting a business and trying to grow it is not um not for the faint of heart it requires a lot of like personal investment and you have to be willing to like take on a high level of stress and sacrifice other things for it and then you know you come out of the dark as well like there are 
waves, it, it's a journey of waves. And I feel like that would be a way to sum up what the last four years has been like for me. There's been periods where you just feel like you're on an absolute high and everything's flowing and it's working so well. And then there are periods where you feel like you're really up against it and you're trying to figure this thing out and you're trying to like see ahead of you, but you've never been down that path before. So it's like quite foggy and, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then the third business I feel like is what we're in now. And, and honestly, it's amazing. We've got an incredible team. We've got a lot more processes. We've got some great people in the right places. And, um, you know, I've probably figured out a little bit better how to be a leader as well. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's in a much, much better place. But I have no doubt that, you know, this will be a phase and at one point I'll feel like we're in a different business again. So, yeah. yeah. What would you attribute as being, uh, you know, the, the prime driver of you being able to get from business one to business two and then from business two to business three and mm. maybe even looking forward business three to business four, like how, what, what has helped you get through those different phases of your business? Hmm, that's a good question because I feel as though at the time I wouldn't have recognized that it was such a step, yeah. even though in hindsight moving office, although at the time it was like, oh, we're just moving office, uh, and it was like a physical location, actually that change created a huge mindset shift for all of us and the business, which, you know, you don't realise until after the fact. Um, I think we have made an effort to feel as though even though we haven't, you know, as I said, haven't had this super structured business plan that we've been executing on, that we always feel as though we're iterating and improving. And I feel as though each major shift has also come with a shift in the business, whether that's um, having having a new um, business area that we're working on or taking on a new big contract or hiring a particular for, for a particular, you know, senior role that's sort of when those shift points have happened. Mm. And um, and I think as the shift points happen, they get easier with each one and you get a little bit more confident that it's like, all right, we'll just take a step in this direction and, you know, it's hopefully going to work and we're just going to figure it out as we go. And I think, um, I think figuring it out as we go has been a good motto for yeah. <laughs> the last four years of my life. Adapting to the different yeah, circumstances. 100%, yeah, 100% because I think if you, you know, something – um, something I feel like a lot of people talk about when they're starting a business. It's like, oh, it's not perfect yet. It's not perfect yet. It's like if you waited until it's perfect, like you're never going to ship it. You're never going to go for it. And honestly, I feel like so much of um, making things happen is just literally taking the steps. And you might not know exactly in what direction you're going or exactly if it's the right step, but it's just having that attitude of like, all right, we're like moving ahead and we're yeah. just going to keep moving ahead and figuring it out as we go and learning as we go. And it's literally just having that um, bias for action, I think, that is such an important ingredient in growing yeah. something. What I find interesting about Click is that, you know, I, I literally don't know any other names of your competitors. I only know Click. Yeah. And, you know, you've been profiled in the AFR recently uh, and we had a chat about this before the podcast. Uh, you know, you seem to be getting a lot of coverage for what you're doing and it seems like your offering has been quite unique in terms of what you provide your content creators. So mm -hmm. why do you attribute to being that differentiator compared to your competitors out there? What's different about Click that makes you special compared to the others? Hmm. <laughs> I think what... Let me think about that for a yeah, second. No, no, no worries. Yeah. Um, 
I think we were incredibly lucky to have my brother on board from day one. Yeah, it would be totally remiss to note that uh, he was an absolutely essential ingredient, I think, in starting our business and he was a trusted voice in the community and therefore, you know, when he said like, hey, these guys have really been able to help me, I think they'll be able to help you too. People were probably willing to take a chance on that Mm. and I think uh, I felt a sense of uh, gratitude that people were willing to take a chance on me and with that sense felt a deep desire to impress people and not let them down when I feel as though they'd taken a chance on me. And I think having that sense of not wanting to let people down means that you're very hungry to make sure you're doing a good job all the time. And I think we really try to look to the US in terms of what they're doing. Um, We don't really have any competitors in Australia. And I think, you know, we were in a lucky position where we were able to Um, develop quite a lot of market share quite early in the region. But I think we also play on a global playing field. Digital content, gaming, I feel so lucky that we can be an Australian business but actually not feel particularly limited by geographic borders at all. Most of our audiences are actually in the US and I try not to think about not having competitors in Australia. I don't really want to – I think that's a limiting thought process for me. Um, And I think perhaps what people find interesting about the space or about Click is, especially in Australia, is um, we're part of this gaming industry and I think gaming is absolutely massive. Like revenues last year exceeded movies and music combined. That's insane. In gaming. And I think it's uh, quite misunderstood So people are curious about what does that actually look like? It's growing very rapidly. And so I think the combination of having an already very big industry that's growing very rapidly and looking in the Australian market about ways that people could, you know, who are the players in that industry that are doing a good job or what are the potential points that you're able to access that industry in Australia? There's probably not that many. And so maybe I think that's probably why people find click interesting and I think and I also think it's um you know it's just new media I think it's really cool it's like cool to see young people that are able to create these really incredible careers for themselves as talent um and you know you speak to young kids these days like everyone wants to be a youtuber everyone wants to be a gamer yeah it's a new it's a new job that people find really exciting so uh yeah and how has COVID impacted your business? I, I mean, with people all locked at home, I'm, I'm guessing mm. that was a big boon to your content creators as well that you're managing. Yeah, it feels funny to say that it was a, uh, like a silver lining, but our viewership really exploded over COVID. Yeah. And I think that there is an element of that that was COVID and that will probably you know realign and readjust over the next few months. But I do think that there's also a trend to people making their homes, their entertainment centers of their lives now. And there's an element of that that won't change. I think um, people are going to movies less. They're going to live sport less. They're going to concerts less, definitely over the last year. And they're looking for more ways that they can make entertainment uh, at home. 
And um, I think you see a lot of that. I think I think there's also this shift at the moment around content from where you were used to seeing a lot of very highly produced content. I think a lot of young people, especially now, are very drawn to like the rawness and realness of user generated content. And that's why you're seeing like an explosion of sites um, a viewership on on sites like YouTube and you know TikTok has just completely exploded over the last year and I think people um, are quite drawn and perhaps through COVID you know the fact that people were interacting less with other people it was mm. nice to interact with people digitally in a way that felt really raw and like a human connection. That's awesome. I mean, it is such a big industry and you're right, you know, that not a lot of people know about it. And it seems like you're drawing from your past experience being a consultant PwC as well to really be able to share the story of how how this industry is growing. Um, you know, so, f- so for brands who want to work with Click and with your with the people you're representing, what's the return for them? You know, if they were a traditional kind of company, how do they work with your content creators? And you- Yeah, I, I love working with brands. I yeah. love working with brands that haven't worked in gaming before. I think it's so exciting and I think... Um, I'm just so passionate about gaming really growing as like a whole subculture now, similar to like how skateboarding is a subculture. It's not just about skateboarders. It's about like the brands that they're wearing and vans and the events and the content that's coming out of it and the personalities and, you know, the apparel that people are wearing and, and all that gaming is that. And it's that in an infancy form right now, even though it's already so big, I think um, for brands, it's really for me thinking about the end consumer of gaming content and that demographic for us it is very very dominantly young men mm. like teenage boys men in their 20s and 30s and that is a really difficult demographic for traditional marketing to reach for young people in general i think everyone is very attuned to what marketing looks like what ads look like like young people are online all the time. I think we have uh, so many things being thrown in our face all the time that people are wanting you to buy. And as a result, I think young people have a really high um, bullshit radar, to be honest. I think like people people know when they're being sold to. And um, they are pretty attuned to what that looks like. I, I think what I get really excited about with the kind of advertising that we're doing is that it's not like that. In addition to that, I think a lot of young people, a lot of young men especially, have ad blockers on their computers. They're not even seeing ads. Um, they're spending less time outside. They're not seeing out-of-home advertising. People are not watching TV in the same way that they used to unless it's live sport or news. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to be able to access this quite difficult to reach demographic in a way where they're actually actively looking for the content. Like they're going on YouTube and they're clicking on these videos. Like they're wanting to watch these streams. They're actively, you know, wanting to consume it is super powerful. And the fact that that's coming from these really big digital talent that have very trusted personalities, you get almost like a word of mouth effect because the viewers of the talent that we represent they are coming back for more every day. Like they're uploading content every day and their audience is coming back every day. And it's not just about the games that they're playing or the challenges that they're doing. It's like they know the music that they listen to when they're gaming. They know what clothes they're wearing. They know what food they're eating on stream. They know who their friends are and what they do outside of gaming. And I think that is where their audiences are really able to develop a very strong personal relationship with these people. And so it would be like, you know, if one of your friends said, hey, 
I'm like loving this game right now. You should play it. You yeah. would be like, oh, well, I already know that I love all the other games that he plays and I trust his opinion on every other aspect. So therefore, if, if he says I should buy something or try it, then I'm going to. You're going to have such yeah, definitely, way more yeah. chance. So I think that's where I get really excited about um, being able to help brands access those audiences. And then in terms of what that looks like, it can be so varied. And I think four years ago, we were working with a lot of endemic brands to the gaming space, like hardware companies or, you know, game publishers or laptop companies or whatever. Now there's a massive shift. And we're working with a lot of like quick service restaurants like McDonald's or Hungry Jack's or KFC. Well, that's interesting, right? We're working with, um, we did a campaign with Culture Kings last week for apparel. We're doing stuff with movies, music labels. Um, it's so varied. And I think um, that's where I get really excited that there's such an appreciation now for, um, yeah, what this content is and what it's able to access. That's amazing. I mean, you mentioned previously um, that you know, most of your viewership has been young males to date. Do you see that shifting with the rise of, you know, female gamers in, in an industry that has traditionally been male dominated? I think it will. I, I think it will shift. Honestly, I think it's been slow to shift. I think it will shift as the definition of what gaming is becomes more and more broad. And now we work with a lot of talent that really straddle what it means to be gaming. It's like they're doing gaming, but they're also doing like makeup tutorials or they're doing gaming, mm. but they're also, you know, reacting to different like funny videos online and you care about their, it's about the friendship group and the challenges that they're doing more than it is about the game. Like the game is sort of just the medium for their own content. Right. Okay. Um, so I think as that expands, hopefully so too will the demographic, but it is extremely male dominated right now. I think I see a lot of statistics online talking about how 50% of gamers are women. I think that can be quite skewed. I think it's like driving heavily from, um, mobile games, mm. um, which is different to what a lot of people would really see as like true gaming or the kind of content that's being consumed. But I hope, I mean, I would love to see more girls in the in the world. It is very male-dominated right now, but I'm confident that, you know, even if it's not from a um, talent perspective, there's so many other roles in the industry where people can get involved. And then from a viewership perspective, I think, yeah, hopefully that will continue That's to awesome. develop. Yeah. Thanks, Grace. I mean, we just have a few more questions because yeah. uh, we're running out of time here. It's been so great chatting with you so far. Of course. Um, you're not... I want to touch on your podcasts. You're not new to the podcasting world. You actually yeah. have two of your own podcasts, yes. uh, Watch Time yeah. and also uh, Rookie CEO. Could you just take yeah. us through uh, those two podcasts and tell us more about yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's been so yeah. fun. You know, the podcast really started as a hobby um, and a way to sort of share some of the content that we were talking about organically between us anyway. Watch Time I do with my brother, Elliot, my brother and business partner. It's quite industry driven. We're talking about what's happening in gaming and pop culture and sort of breaking that down in a larger sense and what that means from a creative perspective and a business perspective. It's so fun. It's like honestly an insight into the conversations that we would be having in the office with everyone anyway. And then Rookie CEO is a really new little pet project um, it's just a sort of real-time chronicle of the, you know, highs and lows and challenges that I'm facing on a day-to-day -day basis as, you know, a business owner trying to do it all and figure it out for the first time and, and the 
<laughs> you know, the crazy randomness yeah. of that. I yeah. was listening to one of your episodes this morning, uh, the one about how social media can be extremely overly positive and there's this uh, oh, yeah. highlight reel. And it, it seems like you've got a really raw approach to that podcast, which is refreshing. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I would go on LinkedIn and it would be all these business owners like sharing their five top tips for whatever. <laughs> and I would be like, really? Like, yep. is it that simple? Because <laughs> it wasn't for me. Uh, and it was like a messy process of yep. trying to figure stuff out. Like yep. you just... And, and I think I was so hard on myself and like it was rookie CEO was actually really born out of a time where we were going, I, I was going through it a bit. Like I was pretty burnt out and struggling and I was like, far out. This is really tough. Like is anyone else finding it really tough? Yeah. And I felt as though I would go on LinkedIn or, you know, Instagram or whatever and it'd be this whole, you know, like just glorified kind of like shiny perspective of what it was to be an entrepreneur or you know have a startup or a side hustle and um I it felt quite alienating I think to go through like real challenges and then I would actually speak to other business owners and they and and they would be like oh yeah me too like 100% me too but like I feel as though when you're starting something out when you have employees there's this pressure to feel as though you have your shit together so to speak all the time um, which you just don't. And so I think uh, I, I hope that hopefully if someone listens to that and feels slightly less alone that they're like trying to figure it out at the yeah. same time, that that's totally normal. And a shout out to all the listeners out there. Uh, available on Apple Podcasts, yes. Spotify, yeah, etc. Anywhere, yep. anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, second last question for you before we wrap things up. Uh, we, we found out that you were, you know, formerly a strategy director at Live Below the Line and yeah. that you had raised, you know, two million for education programs in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Could you talk to us a bit about, you know, that side of your life where you actually are, you know, working on these projects? Yeah. Wow. Live below the line. That was while I was at university. Yeah. I actually um, was really, really drawn to working in nonprofits throughout my university time. And I actually started um, working with an organization called The Hunger Project um, very early on in uh when I was 19 and traveled to Bangladesh with them and they're an amazing organization that uh basically empowers people to lift themselves out of poverty and so I did a huge amount of fundraising with them and traveled to Bangladesh and was able to see their programs working on the ground and was um thought it was just really incredible and they have a lot of really smart people working on that business and then um wanted to sort of be able to get involved in that in a bit of a deeper sense and develop you know some good hopefully career skills as well which I did with Live Below the Line and that was awesome that's like an organization everyone's under 26 and it was so fun like just working on a project like um like Live Below the Line where everyone was sort of coming around uh this thing together and yeah it was uh it was it was an amazing time yeah Yeah. do you plan on doing more of that kind of stuff into the future yeah I think so it's actually um important for me and certainly with the hunger project that's been a long-term relationship for me it started yeah when I was like 18 and fundraising and went to Bangladesh and then I actually did a three-month internship at their head office in New York a couple years later and um and yeah it's been like an ongoing relationship with them and one that yeah I hope I continue awesome last question for you before we wrap this up Grace what's next for click management Oh gosh, <laughs> I've just told you how I don't have a business plan. <laughs> no, I, 
No, I think um, I think we've got a fair bit on the horizon for this year. Actually, I think for us, it's everything I think about. I try to think about like the guiding principles with which with, with which I want to run Click, and that's being able to provide the most opportunities for the best talent that we represent. Um, being able to create really great digital content, being able to expand what gaming, what the gaming industry is doing, and um, yeah, and learn as much as possible on the pro- in the process. So I think they're the sorts of things that I think about. So hopefully, um, yeah, working on some more really cool projects. Awesome, Grace. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was great listening to you, thank and you. Uh, we'll be following your progress. Oh, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Thanks, Grace. That's awesome. Awesome. I think that wraps it up. Thank you.